Chronicles of Leadership Chapter 19 I Must Contact Dando In which we meet Pawan Rashid and his connection with Project Sultan and Dando Llewellyn. Pawan My name is Pawan Rashid. I have no secrets concealed from my wife Asma except for the one which I am recording here. This, my only secret, will be revealed to her if anything happens to me after my death. I'm a native of Rochdale, the pearl in the necklace of towns on the northern border of Greater Manchester's lawless frontier. I'm the holder of degrees in pharmacy and veterinary science from the University of Liverpool. I work as a scientific officer in the laboratories of the Meniscus Organisation. I was married recently to asthma who works for Mr Mifflin in our HR department. My secret goes back to the time when I was serving in Afghanistan as a scientific officer. I was attached to a special projects group led by a young lieutenant, Dando Llewellyn. After the most extreme testing under fire, we returned to England and our paths parted. Although we kept in touch, I trusted him utterly. He became a guest at our wedding. Then he reappeared one evening on the train I take to commute to work. He indicated we should acknowledge we knew each other. He followed me from the station, still not speaking, until I turned off into a quiet pathway where he caught up with me. He then explained the purpose of his visit. I knew he had taken up a new career and was studying at the nearby university. I want your help, he began. Of course, anything I started. He interrupted. I knew you'd agree, but you have no idea what I'm asking for. After what we've been for, I don't need to know. Thank you, but I have to tell you the risks and why you should get involved. You have a family to consider now. Then he briefly outlined the nature of Project Sultan and why it was a matter of considerable importance which went far beyond animal rights demonstrations. I don't need to tell you I'm not asking you to commit to any actions that are dishonourable. The opposite is the case. But I can't pretend you will not place yourself in danger. I will accept it totally if you choose not to get involved. I wouldn't put you in this position if you were not the one person I can trust who is in a position to help. He then told me enough to convince me I had no option. We set up arrangements preparing me to make the next steps towards commitment and arranging the way in which we could exchange information. He did not accept my invitation for him to spend a little time with us. With the slightest of parting gestures he turned and headed back to the station. I reluctantly accepted I would not be able to share what I was about to do, even with asthma. I am now certain there is something evil going on at Meniscus. A big investment programme has begun, under rigorous conditions of secrecy, these extend far beyond the customary precautions that might be expected if we were protecting a potentially valuable discovery from industrial espionage. A huge animal enclosure has been built in the heart of the site and awaits its new inmates. I am uncomfortable about what its purpose may be. I have formed the view that it conceals a totally new form of animal experimentation, almost certainly illegal. My position at Meniscus means I will have to be involved at some stage. If my suspicions are proved correct, 
I faced the sort of dilemma that Dando and I would discuss. Should I then meekly obey orders? I doubt I have the power to intervene successfully as a middle-level professional scientist. The alternative requires I become a reluctant whistleblower. If anything happens to me before we meet, I've ensured that these words will find their way safely to Dando Llewellyn. He will know what to do when he receives them. Dando Llewellyn Project Sultan is ready to go live. It still feels strange to be setting off without weaponry on what may still be a dangerous mission. I have the same feelings of anxiety and nausea that I experienced before any combat operation. I have not taken my medication for 48 hours for fear of its effects on my judgment in the field. The two parts of our operation converged at the northern depot of a specialist animal transport organisation at the planned time of 2300 hours. Godfrey and I watched Hudson Bay's arrival from a lay-by, a little distance from the depot. She was driving a black SUV she had hired from Heathrow. We were in a transit vehicle complete with a set of papers authorising us to connect a bonobo. The documents state that the animal was to be transported to the zoological gardens in Cheshire. The papers also confirm that we're from the reputable firm Petuliver, recognised internationally for its animal handling and security skills. Our friends have been able to arrange the paper trail so that the origin of the order appeared to have come from the zoo. The night staff are alerted to a vehicle approaching the first barrier. The driver is an expensively dressed and attractive young woman with an American-sounding accent. She could be in the fashion industry. She's distraught and angry and is looking for a missing cat. I was told she'll be at your Heathrow location. They said they had orders to bring her here when I could collect her. I spoke with your guy down there. My driver's gone missing. My cat has gone missing. For all I know, it's out there dying of hunger or cold or damaging transit. I've been on the throughway for seven hours without even stopping for a leak. Let me in. I want to sort this out with the guy in charge here. The night staff later denied they'd been influenced by Hudson Bay's convincing performance as an international jet-setter. For whatever reason, after a few minutes, the barrier was raised and the black SUV trundled down the narrow track to the second barrier. As the car was coming to a halt, we arrived quickly enough for the flustered night staff to be less thorough than they should have been. Petulever, Godfrey announced into the speaker system, given a collection code. Would security hold up access until they had dealt with the earlier driver? The night staff checked the authenticity of the code, which we knew to be accurate. It was the transport van which would reveal itself to be false under more careful scrutiny. A delay when time distorts itself. I could see Godfrey's hand gripping the steering wheel too tightly. Then a nod of approval. The barrier was raised. We drove in, coming to a halt close to where Hudson Bay's SUFE was standing. Engine still running! This was the critical moment for the plan. In the reception area, two employees in grey serge uniforms were trying to calm and upset an angry young woman. What do you mean you understand how I feel? You can't understand how I feel. I'm tired and hungry. I don't know if my cat is in Toronto or Tel Aviv or somewhere in between. She was brandishing a mobile phone showing an image of the missing feline. This was the most dangerous part of our plan and why we had to gone in for such a complicated distraction. After a tension-building half-minute, the guard peered into our vehicle, 
accepted the proffered documents and typed in another code. All clear? Nowhere to go? Remind us. Back the van to the loading bay. We were through. Minutes later, we were out of the industrial park and onto the connecting roads back to Urmston and the next stage of our plan. Project Sultan was up and running. My medication had started to kick in. There's no sense of a battle won. We survived. There were no casualties and we have left no trail. We're hardly heroic figures carrying out multiple strikes against the oppressors, but there is a purpose to the operation. We wait to see what response it provokes from meniscus. There will be no boastful claims to the press, at least not from the real perpetrators of the night's activities. Keane's journalist friend Susie Yupp will be one of the first outsiders to learn of the successful liberation of an animal from the meniscus laboratories. I've received a message from Pawan. He's proposing that we meet at a football match next week. We will then know what effect Project Sultan is having at Meniscus. Susie Yup. The mystery of the abandoned ape. A mystery has developed over an ape which was found abandoned at Cheshire Zoological Gardens. The pygmy chimpanzee or bonobo, giving the name Minsky by two zoo staff, is a young female. She was discovered in a carrier case by security staff earlier this week. They'd been alerted to a disturbance at the perimeter fence to the zoo. The unexpected delivery had been left during the hours of darkness. The animal was well fed and appeared to be in good physical condition. There was no accompanying message or explanation. We sometimes have undomesticated animals brought us by owners who find they don't have the resources to look after them. Amy Wilde, the director of the zoo, told me. We already have a juvenile alligator handed over. It had outgrown its home on a local estate. These abandoned animals are often difficult to introduce into a social group. We're hoping Minsky will be accepted as she is a member of a species which forms large social groups and copes well with the introduction of new members quickly showing great displays of affection to reduce their anxieties. Pavan Rashid Dandu and I make contact as agreed outside the Old Traffic Superstore, which is part of Manchester United Football Club's magnificent stadium complex. I obtained the tickets through an expensive online arrangement. We'd given ourselves an hour before kick-off. It was an evening fixture, and the lights of the superstore were beginning to gleam. I'm caught up in the pre-match scene. I can share some of the excitement of the supporters, perhaps not with the intensity which is already erupting, with small groups of fans, which later merges into a collective frenzy, a devotional fervour as deep as it found as a great religious ceremony. I love the hustle-bustle of the Old Trafford crowds, the smells and cries, the scarves and pins and programmes, the police on regal chestnut-brown police horses in battle gear. That's the police, of course. The collection bins for bottles, cans and other potential improvised weapon systems. And this is the first wave of the tide of 80,000 supporters swooping towards the ground. Dando squeezes through the turnstiles, still slightly impeded by his old injuries. I follow him, swept along by the swirling crowd into the ground-level concourse. He moves with some difficulty up the short flight of stairs, pausing at the top for a further ticket check. 
I share an involuntary glance down at the illuminated green of the pitch and across the panoramic view of thousands of ranks of red plastic seats, still mostly unoccupied. Ahead, as we look down, is the famous dugout and the glass-fronted commentator's box. To our right, the little canopy over the entrance from which the players will emerge. A theatre of dreams indeed, with its stagey floodlights and sound system already blaring out glory, glory, Man United music. I edge along our road to my allocated seat next to Dando. Momentarily, I think of the time we edged along a ravine fearful of an attack from hidden snipers. Quite a choice of venue. It's spectacular, Dando said. We were talking against a cacophony of sounds. Lancastrians become skilled lip-readers and initiators as a consequence of working in the deafening clatter of the cotton mills. Today most people mumble, and so the skill is still useful. I suppose it was no more than a few minutes of discussing the match from our programmes before I mentioned the reason that I had contacted him. There's so much change over there. An entirely new complex is nearly completed. New construction methods are being imported from China where they can build a 10-store hotel in a week. Are they building a hotel? No. I stopped and partly contradicted myself. Yes, you could indeed call it a sort of hotel. I believe it to be a new animal facility of super five-star luxury. Dando did not reply, returning to a scrutiny of the programme. Sir Alex says United will not underestimate this team. He was referring to the message to the fans from United's long-serving and iconic Scottish manager. Sir Alex always says that, I replied. Another pause as we waited for an announcement to finish about ticket availability. Then, what sort of animals? Not the small rodents we're experienced at working with. The scale of the enclosure is spectacular. It is certainly designed to house a group of large mammals. It has taken space and time away from other high-priority projects. It even has a retractable roof. The view from the ground is deceptive. It has a great underground region under construction. I'm not a finance person, but the opportunity cost, my goodness, they're huge. The returns would have been estimated, of course. Such a risky investment into a new sort of business is truly unusual. Dando probed more deeply. You mentioned there have been other changes. What are they? No permanent head of the lab has been announced yet, I said. The financial press is saying that Sir Mervyn Bulletin is in talks with Balzani Industries, one of the largest European conglomerates. There are some synergies with their pharmaceuticals and health, but we're really minnows in comparison. They're interested in our knack of commercialising truly innovative new products. Their owner is a man called Salvatore Balzani, an Italian billionaire who has grown a business empire from the humblest of beginnings. He rose from being a bank manager and local radio journalist to a man of power, like Berners-Corny. Very much like him in his astonishing climb to power, different in the sense that Balzani has no political ambitions, although who can be sure in Italian politics? Maybe Balzani now has an offer to make that your company cannot refuse. I could see the point he was making. An offer including the building of our new animal facility? Dando did not reply. The ground was filling up at remarkable speed. We'd paused several times to allow later arrivals to squeeze past us. Eventually, Dando picked up on our halted conversation. 
So you may be taken over and meniscus will be moving into a project involving large animals. That's interesting. But hardly enough to turn you into a whistleblower or for you to arrange such an expensive meeting, for which thank you very much, by the way. There are other things I'm hearing, like about the young man from meniscus killed in a knife attack, for example. Kingston Roberts. There are suspicions he had obtained a sample of a new drug from a top-secret project. He'd need accomplices for that. The project is a brilliant innovation of great potential. It interests investors such as Balzani. But the drugs are not ready to pass through the stage gate to be signed off for clinical trials. He was testing out preclinical formulations. Maybe he had Kingston Roberts killed. Make that two people who were killed, Dando said. I was also thinking about Brian Triscothic. I don't remember much about the match beyond the noise and the peaks and troughs of excitement of the crowds. There was no score in the first half. In the half-time hiatus, Dando propped himself up on the back of his seat to reduce the problems of fans scrabbling past for relief and pies. The second half had much of the action at the other end, with our view partly obstructed by the chain reaction of supporters to our right jumping up to see what was happening. There are outpourings of anger on the web about the actions of the evil and heartless capitalists running gigantic pharmaceutical firms like Balzani Industries, known collectively as Big Pharma. The debate polarises opinion. Those of us working at Meniscus, probably like the vast majority of employees of Big Pharma, reject the criticisms as uninformed anti-capitalist mischief-making. We resent the denial of the millions of lives saved by our efforts. From the first days of industrial manufacture, drugs began to eliminate the main killer diseases. Smallpox, typhoid, malaria are no longer the terror illnesses they were. Stem cell research promises further breakthroughs in cancers, degenerative illnesses. But if you go to the web, we are all lumped together with fat cap capitalists, in banks together with Russian oligarchs, Chinese family dynasties, and of course tycoons such as Balzani. Global business leaders are all assumed to be corrupt, to have succeeded over opponents they see as weaklings less prepared to use criminal and ruthless measures. What would it take for me to blow the whistle against a firm I believe in? Our discoveries improve the lives of countless thousands of people. Should that all be put at risk because there is some corner-cutting over procedures to speed up bringing new improved products to market? A row from the obscured player area to our right told us that United has scored a goal. A louder row met the joyous loudspeaker announcement confirming it. The usual rush to the exit was beginning. Dando was back up on his feet. He handed me his programme and waved me ahead. This time I obeyed his instruction to escape, leaving him behind. He had written a terse sentence on the inside of the programme. Wait until you know your enemy before you launch an attack. I allowed myself unresisting to become part of the human tide flowing out from Old Trafford and being swept along towards the Trafford Bar metro station for my journey back to Asma and the meal she would have prepared. When I arrive home, Asma shows me the story in the local weekly newspaper of an abandoned bonobo. We could give the creature a home at meniscus, she joked. There's plenty of rooms available in the luxury hotel we are building for animals here.